Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm so glad to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Tax season's right around the corner now, so let's see, what would I rather do? File my taxes, go to a high-end shopping mall, and pay full price for something. Rather pay my taxes. Ugh. I just feel funny in them all. So I have a few last-minute reminders for you before you start getting into filing. And also in today's show, I've always been an advocate about you extinguishing debt in your life. But what would I say today about mortgage debt? You know, I want to emphasize that my advice on paying down debt has a hierarchy and special circumstances now with mortgages. I'm going to address that later. So the IRS has had three lousy tax prep seasons in a row with people trying to call to talk to someone at the IRS not being able to. And the IRS has been hiring more customer service workers. Maybe I won't have to say customer no service. We'll see. But it is a meaningful change. And keeping my fingers crossed that this tax season will not be a repeat of the last three years where when you had a question or a problem, you could not reach a human. And only time will tell if the IRS delivers on what's a promise to have actual real customer service this tax season. But I want to talk about something else as well. One of the most often ignored programs that the IRS offers is free file. And free file for 23 works like it has in prior years. You are either based on income or without an income limit, depending on the preparation firm, you are able to prepare and file your federal taxes for free. Now, if a company participates up to a certain income level, you automatically qualify for free file. And at irs.gov, all you do is go to irs.gov and you click on the free file button and you'll be able to see the rules and requirements for each service. If you live in a state that has a state income tax, there are offers under free file where they will also do your state income tax for free or others where they do the federal for free, but you have to pay for the state. So you need to be aware of that, that you could get a gotcha bill if you live in a state with a state income tax and know that that's part of the consideration of who you go with. The tax prep software works pretty much like tax prep software you would go buy online or buy in a physical store. It is online software that you do. Now, one of the weird things in the United States, do you know we are one of the few developed countries left 
where you still do an income tax return? Because in most places now, they've got all the data. The government, whatever country you live in, calculates your tax bill, sends it to you, and you can dispute the information if they think it's wrong. So the process is reversed. They do the return electronically based on the data submitted over the year by employers and investment houses and stuff like that. And then your return is calculated. Now, who would have to then respond in kind and say, no, this isn't right? People who own investment property, you know, rental houses, things like that. Uh, You own your own business, you're going to have to do stuff. But it means the overwhelming number of Americans would not have to actually go through the drudgery of doing an income tax filing anymore if we followed the system that most other developed countries now have in place. So just think about that. Even if you're able to prepare for free, you're having to spend time that a lot of other people and a lot of other wealthy countries don't have to do. Krista? All right, we'll go to questions now. Richard in Oklahoma says, would you address the claims that the huge amounts of mining for minerals and carbon produced in the process needed for batteries offsets the carbon savings from driving an electric vehicle? Richard, that is uh, something that is not true. It does, in fact, there, there is, if you're looking at it net environmental, there is an environmental cost of getting the precious metals and stuff out of the ground and all that. But it is a far cry from the amount of carbon produced by gas vehicles. Now, think about this, though. It's not just with an electric vehicle. It's not as stark as the benefit I'm trying to portray because you also have source issues. So the electric vehicle running on batteries then runs on energy produced from electricity. What's the source of the electricity? Well, if the electricity is produced by coal, then an electric vehicle is only marginally on net cleaner than a gas engine vehicle. If it's produced by natural gas, then there's a substantial advantage to the electric vehicle. If it's produced by wind and solar, it's a grand slam or hydro. But there's another factor as well that makes the carbon footprint overall of an electric vehicle much less than a gas engine. A gas engine burns fuel in an efficiency of, let's say, 27, 28%. So most of the gasoline that goes into the vehicle or diesel that goes into a vehicle is burned off, wasted, and does not produce the power that the vehicle uses, since most of it is not efficiently used. Electric vehicles, the electrons are 90 plus percent efficient. That's why an electric vehicle gets a fuel economy equivalent miles per gallon, typically of about 120 miles per gallon. And the average gas engine vehicle gets a few MPG, fuel economy, real life of about 25 miles per gallon. So the electrics start off at a net disadvantage before they're built with the environmental cost of getting the minerals and precious metals. But you look at the whole cycle and the electric vehicle is far better for Earth if you are environmentally oriented. 
This is from Todd in Idaho. My financial advisor is offering a capped buffered equity note linked to the S&P 500 index due January 2025. An initial value of Wait, wait, wait. I got I got to say something. When Todd posted the question, did he at any point used the word annuity? No, no. Which is what this is. Right. Okay. Initial value of $100, max return of 39.65%, upside leverage factor of 1, <laughs> buffer amount of 15%. Are these a good idea? Are there things for me to look out for? And I emailed him back and asked if his, his planner was a fiduciary. He said he says he is a fiduciary, and he gave me the company name, and I did do a little Yeah, digging. and so guess what we found out? The company has been in trouble repeatedly, having to pay fines for having mistreated customers. They are not a fiduciary. They may falsely be holding themselves out to be a fiduciary. And what you're being sold, I bet you, is an annuity contract north of 150 or 200 pages long with all kinds of insurance contract gobbledygook. And what this is all about is people fearing what happened with the decline of the stock market in 22 are looking for the ability to have upside of stock investing without worrying about the downside. So these annuity contracts promise that you will not lose money, but the gain you have is capped based on a formula that you can never, let's say... The stock markets move up and down in large annual amounts. So let's say in the next year we have a gain of 28%. Your gain will be capped, and usually it'll be capped at somewhere like 7, 10, 12%. You miss a lot of the upside of the gain. In trade for that, what you get is if you meet every term and condition of that 150 to 200 pages, that then you don't lose money. You stay at least even based on the movement of the stock market over the years. The problem is it's almost impossible to meet every condition of these annuity contracts. But even worse, over time, stock markets rise. They have down years. They have down cycles. So having something that all it ensures you is you're not going to lose money, you're paying a lot for that insurance. So this is a company that has had multiple complaints and fines against it. They are not fiduciaries. And what they're selling you is something that's a bunch of hype. From Adrian in Florida, my college daughter's 529 fund balance is now at $0. Instead of taking out a college loan for her last year, I'm going to withdraw from my retirement funds. I have a 401k and a Roth IRA. I'm reading that it's better to withdraw from the Roth IRA. I would really like to hear what you think. Don't know how much money we're talking about for the last year of college. And I don't know your age, but... I'm going to suggest something shocking. I would rather see your daughter borrow the maximum amount permissible under the federal student loan program and reduce the amount of money that you mortgage from your future taking money from a retirement account. The advantage of taking money from the Roth is you can take contributions, not earnings, at any point tax and penalty free. So you would not have a tax bill due. You take from the 401k, that gets really ugly. 
So you could do that, but it then means you don't have the money for your retirement. You have done such a great job saving money, paying for the first three years of your daughter's college education. I think it's a better choice for your daughter to borrow some or all of the cost of that senior year and even carry that burden. My rule on borrowing money for college is never borrow more in total than what your daughter is likely to earn the first year on a job. And I don't know what your daughter's college study is, but you have closed the door. You've not said anything about borrowing other than you don't want her to. I would rather her do that because you have a duty to yourself to properly fund and create financial security for yourself for your own retirement. And remember, no guilt allowed here because you've already paid for those first three years. If you don't want to listen to that, though, taking the money from the Roth rather than the 401k is the better choice. And I do have a suggestion. I don't know if it's appropriate in this case. If she goes to a school where you live on campus, um, my last two years in college, I was an RA, resident assistant. They call it different things in some places. And that gave me free room and board. So if it's that kind of situation, or if you have a kid out there who's looking at that, um, it's a really, it's a great thing if the college offers something like that, or you can work for the school to offset tuition somehow. Now, did the students you were an RA to say you were too strict or were they happy to have No, they seemed, they were good. They were fine. They were good? Yeah. Okay. I enjoyed it, actually. It was really, I was a camp counselor too, though. I'm into that kind of thing. So it was good. I was a camp counselor too. Yeah, see? Yeah. So question for you, we're going to address coming up. If you have some extra cash, should you take it and pay down on your mortgage? There's a formula for that I want to explain to you, and I want to talk about when it makes sense and when it does not to prepay on a mortgage straight ahead. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I got a stat that seems to always surprise people when I share it, and that is that roughly a third of people who live in a home own that home free and clear, no mortgage. And a lot of people are like, well, that'll be the day. And then there are others who say, I want to be in that third of people, approximately who own a home free and clear. I want to prepay on a mortgage. And recently, we had a question on a podcast from somebody who was prepaying on a mortgage that was at, I think, two and a quarter percent. And I was like, no, no, no. So I thought I needed to address 
the whole framing of where your priorities are. So of debts you have, when you have debts, mortgage debt is the last one typically that's a priority to pay down. Almost every other kind of debt you might have will carry a higher interest rate than mortgage debt. On the other hand, what if you are debt-free except for your mortgage, which a fair number of people have no debts other than their mortgage? How do you decide whether paying on the mortgage is a priority? Well, number one, what are you doing to save for the long term? What is your strategy for rainy day? What is your plan for retirement? These things are a higher priority than prepaying on a mortgage. So if you're asking me, should I be prepaying on a mortgage? I'm like, well, are you maxing out saving for retirement at a plan you may be offered at work? Because like half of us have access to a retirement plan at work. And almost nobody of that half maxes out saving for retirement in a Roth 401k or a traditional 401k. And that's a higher priority, particularly the Roth, because that money grows tax-free and then it's spent tax-free in retirement. Are you maxing out a Roth IRA? You know, you don't work for a company that has a retirement plan. I want you maxing out a Roth IRA. If you're a small business owner and you own your own business, I want you looking at, if you're a one-person company, fully funding a self-employed or solo 401k, or if you have employees looking at a SEP plan that would benefit you and your employees, and you have that, and you can shove enormous amounts of money into that. And there's the tax benefit up front. You pay tax on your, your money later in life, but you get a big upfront tax benefit doing the SEP. And all these things are things you should be doing before you're prepaying on a mortgage. Because you can't eat your house. You retire and you own the house free and clear, and that's great having no mortgage payment. But if you have no money to live on, that doesn't work. So let's say, okay, I've done all those things, Clark. So I still want to prepay on the mortgage. Now you got to look at your rate. And the rate has become a much bigger factor than it used to be because so many tens of millions of American homeowners were able to refi or purchase in these ultra low interest rate mortgage. Christopher, our crew has a 1.875% mortgage. She should never prepay. If your rate's below 4%, you should not prepay because you can earn more than that elsewhere. I mean, you can even earn more than that in savings right now. So you don't prepay on a mortgage. Can I ask you a quick question? Yes. You've always hated debt so much. I do. And always have like paid down a mortgage if you got one really quickly. If you have one right now at like 2.5%, would you... Because psychologically, it's so Psychologically, it's awesome to not have a mortgage. I think that even me with that psychological thing I carry, I would not prepay my own two and a half percent. Wow. Okay. I would rather carry the balance. And this is a theoretical because I don't have a mortgage. And maybe if I had one, I'd say, you know, I know common sense says don't do it, 
I might pay it off anyway, even though it didn't make economic sense to do so or common sense. And there are people who being completely debt-free is so important to you. It means if you're completely debt-free, you're hopefully doing a bunch of other things to build up reserves. And then you want to do it fine, but you don't do it in absence of all those things I talked about, building up money for your long-term future. And this is something important for you to think about before you throw extra money at an ultra low interest rate mortgage. And what's the cutoff for you? 4% right now based on economic conditions. Yep, got it. Okay. Felicia in Ohio has a question about this actually with a little twist. I need to know if it's wise to sell my home, which has a 2.8% mortgage rate to avoid paying higher property taxes. So the higher property taxes are because of the value of the house you're in. So if you were tired of paying the higher property taxes and you sold your home and the net cash of it allowed you to buy another home for the cash you have that would be a more modest home and would significantly reduce your property taxes, that would be a win-win because you carry no debt, you're in a lower cost home, and you lower the utility costs, you lower the cost of taxes. Otherwise, the 2.8% is so favorable. And if you look at the overall cost of home ownership, the taxes themselves should not be a backbreaker or a deal breaker on staying in this home. Rob in Florida says houses are still very overpriced and mortgage rates have doubled, making payments a lot higher. Not only are payments higher, but with the increase in home prices comes an increase in property taxes, as was mentioned by Felicia. On top of that, prices keep decreasing. So anyone buying now has a house worth less than their mortgage or the price that they paid. And many of those houses I see out there for sale need a lot of work to get them updated. Adding up all the costs, mortgage payment, taxes, HOA fees, and any update costs, how can anyone afford to buy in this market? So that's why we're in a frozen market. This is uh, The way you stated all this is so interesting, Rob. The sellers of houses aren't trying to sell them because they've got those low mortgage rates, interest rates, so they're not selling. So the normal velocity of the housing market is not where it was. The people who must sell a house may not be in a financial position to cut the price. And the market does work this out. We are going to be in what I believe to be a sluggish market, which means that people who do have to sell, and you know, it could be somebody's passed away and the family's selling a property, could be somebody's being relocated and they've got to sell, uh, could be a divorce situation, financial calamity in somebody's life, circumstances where people have to sell, you're going to see lower prices and markets because you, know, you can't squeeze blood from a turnip. The point is, buyers are not in a position, in many cases, to afford what the higher payments would be. So the market will gradually correct as follows. What's going to happen is that home prices will not really go much of anywhere for a good period of time. We've been through periods like this where there's been meaningful, significant run-ups in value, and then we go through a period of significant sluggishness, which is how this one's going to play because of all the people with mortgage lock, like you, Krista, at 1.875%, you can't go anywhere. Mm 
And so the, the housing market is not a normal routine housing market. And it will correct over time, but not by values falling off a cliff, but instead by values, the economy growing in to a lot of today's values will be the likeliest scenario. Now, there will be circumstances like cities that had big run-ups in the last 18 months leading up to the housing market slowing down. Think Boise, Idaho, and other cities in Idaho, possibly markets in the Salt Lake Valley, uh, Austin, Texas. There are going to be these markets where the escalation in values was so rapid in such a short period of time that values may go back to what they were in 21, let's say. And the gains of 22 will vanish. So only people who bought very recently will suffer the decline in those values. Ivan in Colorado says, two days before Christmas, I purchased a snowman family display, love that, at a big box store as a present for a family member. They were grateful, but said that they want to downsize such things as they're in their 80s. So I took the never opened item back a few days after the holiday, but was told they would not return any such items. When I asked why an employee said customers could be dishonest and use them in return once the holiday was over, I spoke with a manager who told me they would not return any such items. I said, even if it doesn't say so on my receipt and nothing of the sort was posted in the area where I found it, he just said no. Any advice? Yeah. Okay. So, Ivan, it is customary with seasonal things like blow-ups and things like that, that those items are no return items unless they are defective. And that has been a lot of retailers in their ads will say that. I wonder... This is a major retailer. If you could go back, Ivan, and find an ad that would be archived online from the time period where you bought this and see if, in fact, it says all sales are final. If not, then the normal company policy is what's defaulted to. If the item is unopened, was not used, then it is if there was no posted policy of no returns on this category of items, it is reasonable for you to be able to return it. You were blown off at the store. And so I would try to contact the manager, the general manager of that store. This chain, they post the name and picture of the general manager of each store location. They may call it store manager, whatever. Because there are a lot of people in a retail environment, a big box store, who have a title of manager, but you need to talk to the actual real store manager because in good faith, you bought it, you bought it intending to give it as a gift, and you did not use it in an abusive kind of way. You didn't blow it up, use it till Christmas, say, ah, I'm going to pull one over on them. I'm going to return it. And so again, unless there was a published policy saying all sales final on those items, you should properly be able to return it. You could, as an additional step, if the store manager says life's tough and then you die, you could file a complaint with the BBB at BBB.org. That would be considered at corporate for this big box and might get you a solution you're happy with. And with those big blow-ups, maybe you got another friend or family member who'd really love to have one for next Christmas and those to come. And I want to tell you, I'm really sorry if we did not get to your question today. 
If you're not aware, for 30 years, we've offered free one-on-one advice and guidance at our Team Clark Consumer Action Center. We are here to serve you 30 hours each week, one-on-one again for free. The number is 636-492-5275. Or just go to clark.com slash CAC for Consumer Action Center. Have a good one.